intellectual property, I kind of look at it like an umbrella term. So a lot of us are familiar with criminal law and underneath the umbrella of criminal law is like someone's, you know, breaking into someone's car or home, unfortunately, like that's a crime, right? But so is a speeding ticket. (laughs) Those are different types of crime. Well, similarly, intellectual property is an umbrella and underneath that umbrella are different types of legal protection that entrepreneurs and creators can take advantage of when it comes to how the way that they express their ideas and put them into the marketplace can be protected. So we have things like patents that fall underneath the umbrella of intellectual property, as well as copyrights, trademarks, personality rights, and trade secrets. So really intellectual property is an umbrella legal term that covers creative works or processes or services and how you put those services into the marketplace and really those ideas into the marketplace and the legal protection that could really come to help protect the unique things that you do. Welcome to Freedom Slave Podcast, where fempreneurs, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs come to fast track their success. If you're a millennial girl boss, listen, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the goods because every week you're going to get the tools that you need to slay your business goals to create a life of time and financial freedom. I'm Ganette Jones, your host and freedom slayer in charge here. Let's begin. If you have a business, you need to listen to this entire episode, like all of it. Yeah, I'm generalizing because that's exactly how important today's topic is. It's crucial that you protect your intellectual property, and today's guest is going to share exactly how you do that and so much more. After being fired for having her first child, Takora founded the Creators Law Firm back in 2017 with $300 and a dream. And she swiftly built this business into the go-to trademark firm for boss ladies building their empire. Takora's worked with everyone from VH1 to Black Enterprise and many others. She knows her stuff. In fact, she's so good at what she does that she is now the only IP attorney that I trust to touch my business. Yeah, you heard me right. I actually had her recommended to me from a friend of mine and I have not looked back since. Like she is so good at what she does. I've never worked with anyone with such a high level of customer service. She's truly phenomenal. But beyond that, she's reliable, she's super efficient, and just really great at what she does. All uber important traits that you need to be looking out for as an entrepreneur, looking to contract people who specialize in certain areas. Okay, I can honestly gush about Takora all day, but instead, I'm going to dive into this episode for you so you can get all the gems. Hey, hey, Takora, excited to have you on here. Hi, I'm super excited to be featured. (laughs) Now, Takora, for those of you, I already mentioned it in the intro, but Takora is my trademark attorney and she is the best. She's handling all my things. Takora, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got started working with small business owners to secure their intellectual property? Sure. Well, I'm Takora Davis. I'm the CEO and founder of The Creators Law Firm. My law firm started in January 2017, and I was so scared. Like many of you, before you start a business, I had my first child. He was seven months old at the time, 
And seven months prior to that, um, I was actually fired from the law firm that I was working for because I had my son. And so I faced discrimination after having my first child. I was working at a firm and I was pretty much almost a year having license to practice law. And so there weren't a lot of opportunities for me. And so I got this amazing opportunity or so I thought at an entertainment law firm. And I was going to be working with inventors and artists and creatives. And I was like, this is my dream job. This is so amazing. And when I got into the environment and I was around seven months pregnant, when I started six months pregnant, I literally started working for what felt like the devil himself. He was so horrible to us. He would yell at us. He would cuss at us. And I kind of just felt like you got to just sit here and take it. Like you have, this is your only option. It's your only choice. And obviously that was not the truth, but it was definitely the truth that I believed at the time. And so when I went on maternity leave and I had my son, I called the office back when Miles, my son was 10 days old. And at that time, the gentleman, and I use that word, uh, <laughs> you know, calling him a gentleman, I'm using it pretty loosely, but he said, hey, you know, happy you had the baby and you're well. Um, I had some time to think about this and I no longer think you're fit for the success of the firm. I think you need to focus on healing, stay home and get over your pregnancy brain. Wow. Yeah. It literally just felt like a gut punch. You know, I'm carrying and holding this amazing blessing in my arms, this beautiful little boy. And someone's basically trying to tell me that something's wrong, that because I'm a new mother and because I have these priorities that I'm not going to be successful and I'm not going to be able to help him achieve success. And so after that time, which was of June, 2016, I kind of started doing some contract legal work. Uh, the pay was terrible, like maybe 20, sometimes $22 an hour. It wasn't consistent. I was applying and I applied for over 100 jobs and I didn't hear anything back from any law firm, didn't get one interview. And I just got to this point where I just thought there, I know there's nothing wrong with me. I know I'm talented. I know that I can bring value to an organization. Why isn't anything working for me? And I just prayed. I was driving my son to a doctor's appointment in October, 2016. I'm sure I look like a crazy lady. And I was just like, God, why are you not opening any doors for me? Like, seriously. And I said, are you trying to say that I'm supposed to start my own law firm? Because literally there was nothing else. And I had this peace that washed over me. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like <laughs> you asked and then you're like, yeah, no, this isn't it. This can't be it. <laughs> oh man, like, I don't want to do this. Like, come on. I mean, I know I asked, but I didn't really want to respond right away. <laughs> yeah. Because in law school, I remember distinctly saying, I'll never start my own law firm. I want to work for other people. And that's what I said. And so I was just like, fine. I just kind of just gave up. I surrendered. I was like, fine, fine. Literally, I'm driving, having this conversation, looking crazy. And then I said, well, fine. I'm not going to call it the law office of Decora Davis. Because I knew that if I called it the law office of Decora Davis, everybody would ask me, well, what kind of law do you practice? What kind of law do you practice? And I just said, well, what am I going to call myself? And this is when I heard the audible voice of God. And he said, you're my lawyer, the creator's lawyer. I was just like, whoa, you know? So I said, okay, I'm going to be God's lawyer and I'm going to 
serve his people and I'm going to serve the creatives out there and the people who I believe are being most like God when they create, because God is a creator. I feel like God was the first entrepreneur. And so of course that name in which I would call myself kind of evolved into also calling the law firm, the creator's law firm. And I ended up just saying, I'm going to step out there. I'm going to open my doors in January, 2017. And six days after I opened up, I got a phone call from VH1 to be on this reality TV show called Black Ink Crew to advise one of the reality TV stars. And that was, yeah, crazy. Like six days after I opened the firm, they were like my first client, VH1. Listen, if if that's not alignment with everything, and it's funny because I've heard this story a couple of times when you hear it, I've heard you mention, you know, you heard the audible voice of God, but when you said creator's lawyer, I still thought he gave you the name, meaning you're, you're doing law for creators. I didn't think you meant like his lawyer and creator's lawyer. Like I know it's like all the, all the um, sparks flying. Like, oh, I totally get it. (laughs) Yeah. And love it. It humbles me. Like, I'm not perfect by any means, but I do have to go back and say, who are you serving? And how can you honor God and what you do? And I really think that's why there's been this acceleration on the firm and we've done so well in a short period of time because it's been almost four years. And I really try to operate with a spirit of excellence. And again, like I say, I'm not perfect. And you do an amazing job. You keep saying you're not perfect, but guys, her service is so close to it. Like, we're going to get there. We're going to get there because she's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. So I really hit the ground running and I wanted to be known for trademarks and I really focused building the brand on that over the years. And we have been known as one of the go-to firms for creative um, business services, particularly cre- trademarks. But now I'm realizing, gosh, it's so much bigger than trademarks because that's just one piece of brand collateral that you mm-hmm. need to have in your legal house and your business's house to make sure that you're protected. So the trademark is a great thing to have. It's a cornerstone. But when we begin to look at other things like contracts and restructuring your business entity and all sorts of things, there's a lot of stuff that you need to have in place. And so now we've now evolved into a law firm that will offer very soon patent services. Oh my goodness, Takora, I have to cut you off there because I literally, this is on my notes to ask you after the podcast to talk about that. I'm happy. Keep going. <laughs> I am happy. <laughs> I'm excited because I just said to Cora, I'm the type of person where I'm like, I have to learn all this stuff and I have to be the person. And it's like, Cora, you are CEO. You don't have to learn everything. You hire a patent attorney. You hire someone who's skilled at that. And so now I'm just saying, get out of your own way. Be the visionary. Because I want the firm, the creator's law firm, to be like that go-to legal house where you're saying, no matter what creative idea I have, this is the place that I can go to and they're going to help me. Love it. Oh my goodness. All the things, the contracts. I have so many questions now, but it's like (laughs) selfish questions. I'll wait. And for those who may be listening and who may not know what IP is, because they hear you talking about protecting well, intellectual property. What is that for those who have no idea or helping, they hear you talking about helping creators get their business life together, basically. But can you share exactly what IP is and why it's important for business owners to own their own? Yes. So intellectual property 
I kind of look at it like an umbrella term. So a lot of us are familiar with criminal law and underneath the umbrella of criminal law is like someone's, you know, breaking into someone's car or home, unfortunately, like that's a crime, right? But so is a speeding ticket. (laughs) Those are different types of crime. Well, similarly, intellectual property is an umbrella and underneath that umbrella are different types of legal protection that entrepreneurs and creators can take advantage of when it comes to how the way that they express their ideas and put them into the marketplace can be protected. So we have things like patents that fall underneath the umbrella of intellectual property, as well as copyrights, trademarks, personality rights, and trade secrets. So really intellectual property is an umbrella legal term that covers creative works or processes or services and how you put those services into the marketplace and really those ideas into the marketplace and the legal protection that could really come to help protect the unique things that you do. We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. That was an amazing explanation for that. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm sure everybody's crystal clear with it now. And I guess the reason you'd want to have your own IP then you'd say is because, you know, that's yours. That is your work. So if you don't own it, then it's possible that someone else can utilize what you've already profited off of up until this point. And not only that, having your own intellectual property portfolio allows you to fully exploit the intellectual property. And it's like, well, what the heck does that mean, right? It Mm. means that if you have a book, which you have, obviously, a wonderful book, right? You have that book copyrighted. Not only could you take that book, you could also create a course out of the book. You could also create a speaking business and speaking platform out of that. You could even speak about some of those topics covered in the book on the podcast, right? And so you have this one piece of intellectual property that can now split and create derivative works that can be monetized, marketed, and maximized to bring more eyes on your business. Also, intellectual property allows your business to have have a value that's really independent of you saying, hey, I'm a ex- I'm a million dollar business. Well, if we can look at your intellectual assets and you can quantify those and have an accountant do that, that's something that can be leveraged, whether it be in a bank loan, whether it be, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to create licensing programs out of these things. There's so many things that you can do with an IP portfolio. And finally, if you really take a step back and objective look and you look at your business, 
most of your business's value, probably anywhere from 40 to 80% is tied up in intellectual assets. Think about it. This podcast, the entire value of it is tied up in intellectual property. The trademark of the name and the also the content that is created is completely and totally covered by trademark and copyright. If you look at any coaching businesses or courses you create, completely covered by intellectual property. If you look at the content that you create on Instagram, TikTok, you know, all sorts of things. All of it is covered by intellectual property. So most of us have these amazing marketing plans and we have business plans, but we rarely have an intellectual property plan that you can look at and you can say, with this gift that I've been given, whether it be a podcast, which is, you know, gift of speaking or interviewing, book, gift of writing, how am I going to use these gifts in order to market myself and monetize these giftings? Mm-hmm. Girl, <laughs> you're just preaching today. And it's the base I didn't really think about it. When you said, you know, I knew you can exploit it, but I love the last bit you were mentioning just now. And on top of that, it made me start thinking as well. If, you know, let's say you have a product business and you get maybe the logo trademark, or maybe the slogan trademark, whatever it is, you get your trademarks, that's actually leverage as well if you go to sell the business in the future. So if like a larger company wants to buy in, so it's just that edit piece. And I didn't even think of an accountant being able to quantify Mm -hmm. the intellectual property. So anyway, you've given my brain a whole lot of thinking to do. I'm just glad I got all the things trademarked. And one thing I really appreciated when we began working together was just how thorough you were and the amount of research that went into the first assessment for my trademark request. I would have never imagined, right? And then it was the updates you provided along the way. Can you break down what the process looks like for you from the time someone reaches out and says they want to get a trademark to it actually coming into fruition? Sure. So the process generally happens one of two ways. People will make some type of contact with the firm, generally through like our social media platforms, or people hear me on a podcast, or I come into a group and I speak. And then from there, people will reach out to the team. They'll either submit a website inquiry or they give us an email, and then they're invited to schedule a discovery call. I'm also kind of testing out a way to just sell trademarks just from the website. For a long time, I just thought there's no way I could do it that way. But there is a way um, and people are saying, wow, I've heard you, you're thorough, you know, you have great referrals. I just rather skip the whole discovery call process because we know we want to work with you and just purchase. And so people can go to a specific website um, and that I'm going to provide to Kanete, which is Takora Davis backslash turn up, T-U-R-N-U-P. <laughs> and you can actually purchase the trademarks that way. But what happens after you really come on board, you will speak with either Victoria or Caitlin and have an intake call. And so my team is going to gather all the information that is needed about your trademark. We just don't believe in putting you through the rigmarole of having you fill out forms and gather specimens and look for evidence. We're the experts at that. And so we're going to get all the information that we need to get from you so that we can go and do work on your behalf. Once we do that, we move into a period of doing a comprehensive trademark clearance search. This is where the rubber meets the road. We're really looking and uncovering any potential hurdles to your registration, any potential things that we could be watching out for and saying here on this risk level, this is where you fall. Is there a low threat to registration, medium or moderate or high threat to registration? Uh, We also share with you any relevant trademarks that we found during our analysis that we want to bring to your attention. 
And then finally, what we do is we also share a defensive strategy. And I think this is really helpful to people where I say, listen, here's the strategy. We're going to draft this trademark this way. And if we do get a refusal or if we do get pushback, here is the idea, the defensive idea we already have in mind um, that we can employ on your behalf. And Gainete, a, a new thing I started this month was I began to do video walkthroughs of each opinion letter. What I found was that people people would schedule an opinion letter review. And I'm like, I can just record it and I send it. And people are, my clients are so happy because they're like, thank you for doing a customized video reviewing these search results because this stuff- You are so special. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) I just really want people to feel like, wow, we're going the extra mile. We want to make sure that you completely understand because this is your intellectual property portfolio. It's not mine. And I want you to fully know, like, do I want to take this objective risk? Like, do I really want to proceed with this or do I want to, you know, rebrand? Do I want to go in a different direction? Because either way, you really need to know and have all this information at your disposal to determine what's my next best step. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I mean, I can only imagine my face would have lit up if I received a video because when I was looking at the I guess it's a booklet of research and I'm looking at it, I'm like, wow, like this is in depth. And like, the she's amazing. You guys, if anybody is looking for trademark, you need to hit her up for real, for reals. So can you tell us then, cause I know a lot of people would think they can send you this information. You know, you go through that, you give them their research, they make up their mind. Let's say they want to go forward with it. A lot of people think they can get the trademark like yesterday. Can you explain like the process and how long that typically takes? Do you ever see it happening any sooner? Like what does that normally look like for you? The fastest trademark that I ever got was my own. And it's not because <laughs> it's not. Now listen. I know, right? <laughs> So the reason why I got this one really fast was my first trademark was the creator's lawyer. I think that may have taken like about a year. And then I went back and I did the creator's law firm. And because I already owned the creator's lawyer, they were like, oh, well, and that was already approved and the names are pretty much identical. They approved it very quickly. So that's the only reason why that one went through really fast and it was registered on the supplemental registry. And so sometimes if your trademark is descriptive, meaning it to kind of describes your services, it can be put on the supplemental registry. So that's the only reason why it went through faster. There are some that obviously take, you know, maybe I think I've had some around the nine month mark, but yeah, it takes around that long of period of time time. And so because it takes that long, me and my team, we've developed a proprietary update process where we're sending you monthly updates. Um, We're letting you know what's going on, what's happening. And so it really makes sure that you stay in the know of where is my trademark? What are we doing? What can I expect next? Because I don't really want my clients to say, what's going on? What's happening? We really want you not to even say that because we want you to know exactly what's going on every step of the way. And so we're still making improvements to that. I've been working on it. You know, you have something in place and you're like, let me keep tinkering with it. So I've been trying to improve it little by little over the past three years. Um, Sometimes there are trademarks that do face issues. And so if there's an office action and really an office action is basically a document issued by a trademark examiner that works for the trademark office that says there's something wrong with your application. It could be something super minor like, hey, we need you your consent on record or we need you to 
provide us with an updated specimen. Or it could be something more robust, like we are refusing your registration because it's too close to someone else's. If we have an issue where a registration is refused because it's just too close and too similar to something, what we will end up doing is we will really go into defensive mode. Me and the team will begin to conduct research. We build out an argument. And then we have some periodic meetings with the clients to say, here's what's going on. Here's when we anticipate um, you know, filing this argument and we're going to keep you posted. And so sometimes when you get certain types of office actions, then it could prolong the process. When there's a quick one, we try to respond within seven to 14 days because I don't want there to be too much of a delay in any of my clients. Basically, the timeline and you going along the timeline. And see, and that's why I appreciate you because most people don't do that. If we're being honest, (laughs) you do take that extra step and your clients definitely notice because I found you through Lene. And you know, when other clients are telling other people, then that's when you know you're doing your job well because she was like, no, you have to go through Takara. Just go through Takara. I mean, I've been so so excited about all of it. I've yet, I'm so satisfied with all of the things you're doing. Thank you. Thank yeah, you're amazing. <laughs> so what would you say are the dangers then for those who are currently operating their business who have not secured their IP? Because I'm sure there's many people who are sitting on unique you know, products that may have a unique look that probably could be patented or they have a business name that they're using and have used for years, but it's no trademark on the logo or for the words. What is the dangers of operating like that? Well, a couple of dangers are you really just saying, wow, I have an amazing idea. You launch it and you're excited about it. And then immediately upon launch, you receive a cease and desist letter. That happened to one of my friends who launched his podcast. And he's like, I got this cease and desist. And it was like the first day that he launched his podcast. And that other company was like, nope, you're not launching anything. Because he didn't take the time to conduct due diligence and really see, hey, am I hurting someone else? The first question that we should ask is not to Cora. Uh, how do I get this trademark? The first question we should ask is, is my use of this name, this logo, this tagline hurting another business owner and hurting their brand? And I think if we look at it from that lens, we can all take a greater responsibility over how can we build out a unique and authentic intellectual property portfolio? And really looking back and saying, wow, if I do use this name, is it going to be too similar to someone else? Am I hurting someone else's family? And you know, I think that's the very first question we should ask. And then after you ask that question and you realize, hopefully with some good legal counsel, hey, I'm not going to hurt anybody. Then the next question should be, how do I proceed with trademark protection? How do I move along this path to registration? So I would say that those are the things that you want to, well, one of the things you want to watch out for is, you know, gosh, you could really get be the recipient of a lawsuit or the threat of a lawsuit. And I personally think that's one of the worst things that can happen, not necessarily being sued, but receiving something that could invoke and plant a seed of fear. As a creative, one of the things that you need to have is a certain level of confidence and boldness to launch out into the deep and do things that you've never done before. And when you have these things hovering over you and making you feel like, well, should I launch or I'm scared to launch again? Because when I launched the first time, I got to cease and desist. That really disrupts the creative process, which I think is so pure 
for people who are in positions like us, who are creatives at heart. So I think that's one of the risks. The other thing too, is just, you know, someone else being able to swoop in and trademark something before you. And then once they do that, now you're in a position of, oh my goodness, you know, do I have to now pay more money to try to cancel or oppose someone's trademark? Because I am the rightful owner. I started using it before them, but because they filed their trademark application before me, now my legal costs are higher. So I've had that situation where I've had to represent clients who they were like, I've been using this name for three years and these people come in and they trademark it before me. And I'm like, why didn't you think it was important <laughs> for you to pursue trademark protection? And I think a lot of people think I have time. I have time. Nobody mm-hmm. else, no one else is out there, but you don't know what other people are thinking. And a lot of times people have the same ideas. They're not trying to steal from you. Some people it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I had no idea that you existed, you know? For sure. And What about then those who have been doing something with their name? Let's say their name is, I'm looking at a painting right now in front of me. So the Blue Beach, right? And it's a Blue Beach and that's the name of your business. And then you realize after you've been operating under the Blue Beach for 10 years, someone else comes and trademarks the Blue Beach and they just started. Do you have any legs to stand on having used that in commerce for commerce over the years? Or is it just like a lost cause? Yes, you do have legs to stand on because this country is the, a first to use, or in the United States I'm speaking about, we're a first to use jurisdiction, which means that if you are the first person or the first brand to use a brand name in the marketplace, or you're the first one to basically file an application before anybody else uses it, then you are the one who has the superior rights. So again, if we're in the same situation and you've been using the Blue Beach in connection with, who knows, photography services, services for 10 years and someone else comes along and they're like, I'm launching the Blue Beach in 2020 and I'm filing a trademark, you still have superior rights. You still can really stand on what's called common law rights and send them a cease and desist letter. Um, You could even have a um, proceeding before the trademark office saying, hey, I believe that if this application matures to a registration, it is going to harm me and my brand for all of these reasons. And so um, that's important because you still have prior rights, but people sometimes just aren't even savvy enough to know that. Sometimes they think, oh, I didn't trademark it. So, you know, the game, the road ends here. But having a professional counselor and someone who can guide you along that path, it doesn't mean that all is lost and that you've lost your business name. It just means that you might have to take a few additional steps to secure your rights. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just going down a rabbit hole. So let's say they already have that trademark and now they're sending you a cease and desist letter for something you've been using for 10 years. Do they now, because they have that trademark and it's registered I'm probably asking a question that will probably depend on a whole lot of legalities, but I'm just curious how that works. No, it's a really good question because we call those people trademark bullies. They try to do that. They go and they get a registration and then they turn around and try to send cease and desist letters to everyone or a brand who has clearly superior rights. People who do that, I think they don't realize that their trademark can be canceled. Generally, after your trademark is registered within that period of five years, if someone else truly has superior rights, they can petition to cancel your trademark. 
Like they, mm-hmm. they can try to get it canceled. And so we have to just be mindful that sometimes it can actually backfire. There's a phrase that's called being hoisted by your own petard. It's an old wartime phrase where some of the soldiers used to build bombs and they obviously those bombs were intended for whoever they deemed to be the enemy, but the bomb would actually explode and kill them. And so, you know, essentially someone doing something like that could be hoisted by their own petard. They go and they get the trademark and they say, oh, I've got it now. I'm going to be a trademark bully and send cease and desist. And what can happen is they could lose their trademark rights because of, you know, going around and doing those things because they don't truly have superior rights. Interesting. Because I know, I'm just thinking, I've seen so many celebrity stories and things like that. Like Beyonce was getting blue ivy from someone who had been using it for her business for years. I'm always curious about stuff like that. And I know I learned about JLo. You know, one thing I did not realize, and this is going on a whole different tangent, I didn't realize if a picture was taken outside, even if it's a photo of you, if you're in the public sphere, you don't own rights to your photo. The photographer has that. Like things like that blow my mind, like legalities just blow my mind. Yeah, because the photographer, and this gets into copyright, but copyright, really the owner of the copyright is the person that created it. So the person who is behind the camera lens and they use their finger to click that shutter, they are actually the owner of whatever image it is that they capture. And so they are the rightful owner, even if it is an image of you. Now, that copyright owner should, within their contract, have provisions that state something like we are able to use your name or, excuse me, your image, you know, in the promotion of our business or we can use it in these different ways. They should still get your express permission for that, but they are the owner of the copyright, whether they take the picture inside or outside. Interesting. Okay. That was a tangent guy. Sorry. So (laughs) no, that's interesting. So what then let's move on to like another set of questions. Like what then would you say qualifies as a strong trademark application? Cause I know when we first started talking, you were like, Oh, these are my rules for like, if you want one, that's for sure going to go. And I know I'm like the difficult kid. Cause I'm like, okay, we might have to fight to but let's do this. (laughs) I think a strong trademark application is one that's rooted in you know, having a couple of things. One, you coming to the table, having at least a strong idea of what type of product you want to offer in the future and saying, this is how I know I want to use this. That is really helpful when it comes to us drafting a unique application and really being able to watch out for any potential pitfalls that may come your way. So I would say that. That's the first thing. The next thing is having a really distinctive brand name. Um, I think having a name that's not too similar or close to other people's or something that could be suggestive of your services could be very clever. And so a suggestive trademark is very, very strong. It's something where it could potentially suggest the services that you offer. So for example, this is like Burger King, or you're like, they probably offer burgers there, but not quite sure, right? That's a suggestive trademark. Another strong type of trademark is something called an arbitrary mark. This is uh, words that already exist but they're not usually associated with the services or products that are offered. So think of like Target. You know, that's a word that we all know, but it wasn't always associated with supermarket services. Or Dove, that's a word that we know as well, but it was not always associated with a cosmetics brand or lotion brand or even a chocolate brand, right? Very, very strong trademarks. The strongest type of trademark is something called fanciful. A fanciful mark is completely made up and it's made up to actually serve as a trademark. 
For example, Pinterest, that word was created to serve as a trademark. And I love it because it a naming concept that they use is something called um, portmanteau. And what that means is you combine two different words that already exist to create a new one. They combine pins and interest to make Pinterest because literally your board is pinning things that are of interest to you. Um, we also see this with Groupon. Groupon uses portmanteau as a naming concept because they combine the two words groups and coupon. So if you are able to do it and do it well, you can have one of the strongest trademarks that anyone has ever created and you have a very high likelihood and chance of success. Mm, so good. All of those pieces. <laughs> and I just remember when we reached out, like I was like, I'm that difficult kid, you guys. So I'm like, well, I know this may not be the strongest, but if they push back, then, you know, if the trademark attorney people come back and they're like, well, you know, what about this? We're like, well, let's fight this. <laughs> so I appreciate you for that too, for even taking me on. But yeah, that's similar to Lene's trademark too. And I keep bringing up Lene because she's, again, the one who told me to come to you, but she has the gold standard, right? So she's playing on the word gold because it sounds like gold. So the gold standard for a podcast. And anyway, it's awesome. So mm-hmm. I love that. That feels really strong. I don't know if it, it is. Sounds it strong. Is. And she okay. that is a different type of naming concept called word play very strong to you so word play is kind of taking words or phrases that we are familiar with but tweaking them slightly so i saw this with a charitable organization called boys in the good instead of boys in the hood oh i love that (laughs) that is so cute (laughs) i also saw it with a wine company and it was guns and rose instead of guns and roses so there was stop it this is like the cutest thing ever now i need to come up with a new trademark just so i could play with it (laughs) And so with Lene, we have the gold standard instead of the gold standard, but that is a great, great example of wordplay and another naming concept that we should have in our back pocket when we're thinking of, gosh, what's a new course name or, you know, what's a new product name? You can use portmanteau or wordplay to be able to help you create a new trademark that's really strong. Mm, Good to know. I hope everyone's taking notes and paying attention for their own business. And for those who may feel like they're yet to get in that financial position to protect their brand legally, because maybe they're listening and they're like, yeah, that sounds like it's great. I do need to get my, you know, stuff trademarked or copyright written or getting a patent, but I don't think I'm in that financial position as yet to protect the brand legally. What suggestions do you have? Like, is there a way to build a case without the certificate? I think a couple of things, too, is that one, ask the attorney that you are considering working with, do they have some um, other financing options? So I know we just started using law credit, which is in partnership with PayPal credit. So you'd be able to purchase the trademark and pay it off over a period of six months without any interest. So I would say look at some alternative financing options because it's so important that it's not something that you really want to just keep putting off. You really want to say, let me make a plan and make it happen. The other thing too, is that if you are going to utilize a name in connection with your services or your products, then you really have to ask yourself like, okay, how quickly am I going to be able to make sales? Because if you want to try to have superior rights or superior use, the only way to be eligible for trademark protection is to use a name in advertising or marketing your services and also make a sale. 
A lot of people think, well, I got my domains, you know, I got my social media stuff, you know, I have my website up and running, but I haven't made a sale yet. But because my website is out there, I should be eligible for trademark protection. And unfortunately, that's not what the law says. There has to be some type of sale made because you have to affect commerce. And that term of art, affect commerce, just literally means you need to make sales. You need to really make an imprint in the marketplace because if you can't really make sales and monetize your intellectual property, you're not eligible for protection. So I would say if someone's in a position and they're saying, gosh, I really know I need a trademark, but I don't have it in the books right now, then how quickly can you create a plan to market those products and services and be able to raise capital so you can invest in your intellectual property? The other options are looking at, there's pro bono departments of every single state and some attorneys will volunteer including myself. And so most people have to apply to be considered for these programs. And if they're able to do that, then you could get legal services for free. So I would look into that. And then I would also look into law schools. Law schools have clinics and in those clinics, there are patent clinics or trademark clinics, and they help individuals who also need services. And so you'll have a team of law students working on your trademark application under the supervision of an attorney who is licensed and who knows how to do these things well. And so you could have five or six students working on your trademark. Of course, there's pros and cons to that because who knows how long it may take them to do it. You know, they're probably going to do their best job, obviously, because it's a tied and attached to a grade. But, you know, if you're kind of like working against a certain timeline and you need something done pretty quickly, those other options may not work. But it's always good to know that there's multiple ways to accomplish basically intellectual property protection. Mm-hmm. Such good suggestions. And what that tells me as I'm listening to you is that there's really no excuse. Like there's always going to be some way that you can make it happen for you if it's meant to happen, if it's something you need done. And I love the suggestions you gave about, you know, going to the students or even going to the clinics, filling out the application. And sometimes it's just a matter of asking yourself, how can I make this work rather than saying I can't do it for X, Y, Z reason. So I'm glad you brought that up. And we did talk a little bit about copyright and patent, but for those who may be confused, like between the difference of them all, are you able to explain briefly just, you know, what's the difference between a trademark? What can you get trademarked or copywritten or, you know, kind of get a patent for? Can you explain the difference and share, you know, what can't be trademarked? Yes. Okay. We're all going to be experts probably in five minutes. So let's go. Yes. <laughs> A patent protects a type of invention. So anything that has a function, think of the engine of a car or even how you have those like mechanical pins and pencils that can click up and down. Those things have patents all associated and tied to it, even your phones and your laptops and things like that. So patents are closely tied to inventions. Sometimes you can get a patent on the aesthetic meaning the design of unique packaging. And so we see this with things like the Coca-Cola bottle. I think at one point in time, it had a patent on it. Or we can look at even like the nasty Halloween marshmallow peeps. I believe they had a design patent. So a design patent can protect the ornamental features, meaning the outside, the features of product packaging. The thing though about a design patent is remember, patents only have a certain lifespan. 
So I think the patents have like a 16 year lifespan and it could be smart to start with that. And then you can also get a trademark on product packaging too, because the trademark is the only type of intellectual property that lasts forever. So it's smart to maybe start if you have unique product packaging that's very distinctive to your brand and it helps people identify you. I would say maybe consider that design patent. And then after it, you've been doing that for a while, make sure you get a trademark on the design of the product or packaging itself. And so again, patents can also extend to plants. So this is how I was first introduced to plants. I have a biology degree. I was pursuing medicine. And in the lab, I realized, oh, there's a fusion of science and law. And this is what's called intellectual property law. And so that was my first introduction to IP through patents because I was working with plant patents. And so if someone creates a unique genome of a plant or they manipulate it and it's man-made, not made by nature, then it's eligible for patent protection. So really quick overview, patents will cover any type of invention, whether it be plant patents, utility patents, which are the functional pieces, or a design patent. So there we have the patent aspect out the way. Copyright protects literary and artistic works in what's called a fixed tangible medium. It's like, what's that legal mumbo jumbo mean? Literally any type of work, whether it be a book, podcast, photography, videography, choreography, sculptures, um, graphic design, sometimes some computer coding that's in a medium that one can experience. So it's not enough for an idea to sit in your head. It's not enough for the book to sit in your heart. You have to write the words. You have to write the text and put it in a format that other people can consume. You have to take the picture so that other people can view it, right? You have to create the video so that other people can watch it. Once that idea moves into a medium in which other people can experience, it can then be copyrighted. Finally, trademark is going to lend itself to any word, phrase, logo, tagline. In very rare cases, a trademark can be a smell, it can be a sound, and it can even be a color that is associated with helping people identify your unique products and services. When we think of color trademarks, I'm talking about Tiffany Blue for jewelry. Tiffany literally owns that color and no other company who does jewelry can create jewelry in that color because they own it. T-Mobile owns that magenta pink. So no other cellular mobile company can use that magenta pink in connection with that. We even see this with UPS and the brown color on the trucks. They own that color with respect to their unique marketplace. Unique sound trademarks, um, the sorority Alpha Kappa Alpha, they have trademarked their unique call and their sound. We see sound trademarks also with things like Whatever movie uh, or that studio is with the lion at the beginning, I believe that that lion, <laughs> you know, or even if you watch Law and Order, that doom doom at the beginning, like, you know, like when you hear that, you're like, oh, it's Law and Order coming on because it helps identify and distinguish whatever um, creative work you're about to take on, right? And then smells. Sometimes you can have a very unique smell. So what's really interesting, I think it's Verizon Wireless. They have this vanilla musk scent that they pump into all of their stores and that's trademark. So when you smell it, it reminds you of being in the store. You know that this is the type of store that you're in. And so you can have unique trademarks for those things. It's very rare, but it's possible. But of course, at the end of the day, if you have a word, or a logo or a tagline, 
And you're saying, hey, if you experience this word, like my firm is the creator's law firm, you know, it identifies my company. You know that that's the company you need to go to if you need legal support and legal work. If you see my tagline, we help you protect your smarts, that is another trademark that we own that's going to help people identify the brand. So your trademark literally helps people identify your business and distinguish you from your competitors and counterparts with the whole sole purpose of saying, I want to support that company. I want to hire that company. I want to work with that company. And that is your crash course on intellectual property law. Oh my goodness. So many questions came up when you were saying that <laughs> two in particular, because that was so good. So as you were talking about it, you mentioned that the trademark was the only one that lasts forever. So it does that mean, I do recall actually reading that copyright expires after a certain amount of time. How long is that? So the copyright, if you create something right now, the copyright will last as long as you're alive, plus 75 years after your untimely demise. Mm, Okay. Because I do remember, like, this is when I was using something to write in my book, like I was putting quotes and stuff. I do remember seeing something similar to that for like the older quotes. And it's like, oh, wonder if this has expired. So, okay, that makes sense. And the other question I had for you was then if trademarks can last forever, can they then be an asset that gets passed on to maybe via will or, you know, to another descendant? Interesting. Think of it. It's property. Yeah. You could pass a real property, R-E-A-L. That's a legal term of art that literally means land or homes. So real property is affixed to like land or attached, you know, to the ground. You can bequeath a house in a will, right? Personal property are things like jewelry or cars or clothing that can be passed on in a will. You can pass on intellectual property to your heirs. This is like the biggest thing ever. When we talk about building generational wealth, this is how it's done. I'm getting goosebumps. I'm like, I just got them too, because I I literally did. And I'm like, I get so passionate about it because this is, when I was doing research on this in the United States, only 5% of attorneys are black. Of the attorneys that practice intellectual property law, only 1.9% of us are black in the unique area in which I practice. Only Mm. 1.9% of attorneys. When I looked and saw when my ancestors were freed from slavery, do you know that the slave owners would make the slaves assign the rights to their intellectual property to them before they could be free? I had no idea. First of all, the slave owner, they knew how important our bodies were. That's why they would, you think about it, like one slave enslaved African runs away and you send an entire militia with dogs to go track them down. They knew how valuable we were even then. But then whenever they're saying, fine, the law says you're free, right? The law says you have to go. But before you go, you have to give me your intellectual property. That's the part that blows my mind. That's how you know how valuable it is. That's how we see where now we're discovering, oh, for Jack Daniels, there was actually an enslaved African who came up with that entire alcohol blend. And that company is still booming to this day. I'm pretty sure that the descendants of that enslaved man do not see one penny from that. Now, see, I don't drink alcohol, but if I did, they would have been canceled just now. (laughs) Right. Now we're realizing like there are these brands that have been around for decades and they still have the same name and they really were able to get that way because of slave labor. 
because of many times the intellectual property of slaves. And I'm from the South. I know, no disrespect to my less melanated counterparts, but Paula Deen, I'm pretty sure that Paula Deen got some of those recipes or some of those recipes were passed down from Black women. Y'all don't cook that well, you know, like <laughs> not mm-hmm. in a Southern type of way that's been cooked, right? Or cooking. Right? And her recipes, yeah, her recipes are good. Right. And I'm over here like, come on now, for real. So you mean to tell me that, oh, this recipe has been passed down in my family from all this time. Okay. Y'all wasn't cooking like that the whole time. So I began to look and see like these people were building empires, profitable empires. And it's still happening to this day. We look at the artist. We think about the artists in the 50s and 60s, the Black artists, where they had their intellectual property, their songs, they were taken by Elvis and some of the other white people at the time. You know, like you mm-hmm. ain't a hound dog. Elvis took that from. I, forget I do remember hearing that. Yeah, song from her. You know, they would take songs from black artists all the time. It's their intellectual property, and they would go and make all these record sales from it. So I think about oh, Elvis. Not saying that all of his stuff was taken, but he certainly took the dance moves and he certainly took lots of music from the Black community. You have Graceland, so he has this whole place that people can go to now a days they can go and visit and his family still profits from people going and visiting this place that was built off largely large in part of taking intellectual property from black people and monetizing it but what about do we have the equivalent of Graceland for major black artists today no I don't know one place. So a lot of times people will say, well, I can wait. You know, it's not that big of a deal or you shouldn't trademark something until you've made at least $10,000 on it. These people who are spouting these things, they do not understand the value of intellectual property. They don't understand how if you do the right thing, you could literally set your family up for life. You can literally so powerful. That's just so powerful to me. And it's funny that you brought up the singing thing because literally just this morning, my husband and I were talking about a meme we saw where it was like Shakespeare um, to be or not to be. And then on the other side was, I don't know if you ever watched Tom and Jerry, but it was the cat. I think that's Tom. And it's a issue is or issue ain't. And I knew the song because they did the issue is or issue ain't my baby song all the time on there. So Dean didn't know what I was talking about. My husband had no idea what song. I knew the song. So I Googled it and I realized it was it was written by a black man named Louis Jordan and immediately because I mean the picture is black and white this was way back I mean many many decades ago and Dean the first thing he said is I bet you he didn't profit from you know the I don't know what company that was that had Tom and Jerry but from that them using that song over and over throughout the span of Tom and Jerry's um, you know run it's amazing how that works so I totally get it. Yeah, I think what could also, it just boggles my mind, but I really take a step back and I'm like, Takori, you didn't learn anything about intellectual property until college. These conversations are not happening or they certainly weren't happening in my household. They weren't happening in high school. They just weren't happening. And what I want to do is I want to educate my community as much as possible for us to realize that our ideas are valid. Like, They are valuable and they are worth protecting because in our firm, one of our core values is that we believe that culture births creativity. And if we really look at our culture, not saying that all cultures, but, you know, particularly the culture of those who are in the African diaspora, wherever you may be, it is something that moves and shakes the entire world. It's trendsetting, it's current, it's always popular. It goes in and out of style. It's capitalized by other people. 
And a lot of times that money doesn't come back to the hood. It doesn't come back to our communities, even though we are like the heartbeat of a lot of the things that are happening. One of the things that I recently did, and I just feel led to share, is because I was dealing with comparison. I was comparing myself to other people, other lawyers, and I was like, you know, they're doing this and they're doing that. And I realized I was comparing myself, even though I know I'm great at what I do, I was still comparing my portion to other people. And it was because I didn't really fully honor my gifts. And so I sat down and I said, well, Takora, what are all your gifts? And I got this from Eric A.T., the hip hop preacher. Oh, he's amazing. He's so good. And he said, you have to write down all of your gifts. And so I said, okay, I'm going to write all my gifts down. And I said, okay, I have a gift of speaking because I always pray. I say, Lord, let me be easily understood. Because when I speak about the law, it's scary. People are scared of lawyers. They're scared of legal stuff. And I said, I want to be easily understood. And I want people to say, wow, I feel safe with Takora. I completely understand what's happening. She's making this process easy, right? And so I say, I know I'm easily understood. I have a gift of humor and storytelling. I have a gift of writing. I have a gift of speaking. I have a gift for the law. You know, I have a gift for motivation. So after you identify your gifts, the next thing you have to do is then you have to give your gifts an address. Like, where is this gift going to go? Like, so I'm like, okay, my gift of speaking is going to go to podcast. My gift of speaking is going to go to stages. It's going to go into universities and colleges in corporate America. And then when it goes, I say, okay, after I give it an address, I then give it an assignment. What are you going to do when you get there? (laughs) You know, are you going to touch the hearts and lives of people? You know, my gift of motivation and grace is going to pull women out of pits into their palaces. My gift for um, legal is going to help communities really understand how to lock down their intellectual property and run more protected and profitable businesses. And finally, after you've identified your gifts, you've given it an address, you've given it an assignment. This is my little take. You need to make it an asset. How are you going to make this protected via intellectual property? And once you protect it via intellectual property, how much money is it going to make you? Because all of these gifts are things that we can use in our own lives and in our own business to benefit our families. And so as I look at what I'm charged to do in this earth as my capacity as a lawyer, I begin to say, well, there's no need for me to compare myself to anybody. Look at what you have. Look at what's in your house, you know, and look at what's happening. No matter how the gifts change, I still have authority over it. And so I think a lot of times what happens is as creators, we have such big visions. We want to do so many things that we really don't get a hold of our gifts. They're out of control and you have to command the gift. And I really feel like if we say this gift, like I said, my law firm, that's going to take care of my children and my grandchildren. That's the assignment of the creator's law firm. And to know that it's going to create generational wealth for my family and take care of my children and my grandchildren There are certain things that I have to do today to protect the intellectual property because I have IP myself, protect my company, my team and my family. And so once we're able to say this is what we can do with these gifts that we have and what they're supposed to do and the assignment that it has on the earth, we don't even have to compare ourselves to anybody else because we got too much work to do. I love it. Like that is amazing. and so powerful. So you said you got this from ET. Was it all of those pieces or just identifying the gifts? Like, or was it the give it an address assignment and make it an asset? Was that him as well? I just added the asset part. I was like, I don't mm-hmm. want to take uh, credit for his IP, but I was like, I need to make these things an asset. Like, 
how do I take the giftings and say, how is this going to be a tangible or intellectual asset? Is it a copyright? Is it a trademark? Should it be protected by this or that? Am I going to make it a course? You know, how am I going to monetize it? And then how much money is it going to make me? Because he, you know, I just added the asset part because I'm like, I have to protect it. You know, it's, it's all fun. so good. Seriously. And so, like, I love it. And how were you, now I'm getting on a tangent again, I'm going on another side. What made you stop and say, okay, these are the things that are my gift. Like, what about that person who's listening? And they're like, well, I don't know what my gift is. Like, do they just need to be quiet? You think? I think a lot of it is a couple of things. I do think you, I've been spending so much time to myself as a CEO and really getting quiet because my firm is growing so much. And I feel like if I'm the visionary, I have to be really clear on where I'm leading people. Mm -hmm. I don't want any kind of platform and I'm leading people all over the place. I wanted to be very clear. And I knew I had a responsibility to figure out the answer. And I knew I had it because it's in me. And so I said, okay, well, I, I know that a lot of times our gifts are things that people have shared with us before. And so I was like, oh, well, I know that I'm a really good writer. People tell me that they love my book. They love my book, Planted to Produce, um, Seven Shifts to Activate Your Creative Soul. You know, And so I'm like, people tell me they read the book and it was life-changing. So you clearly have a gift of writing to Cora. And I know I have a gift of speaking. But then I shared my gifts with someone else, my speaking coach. She said to Cora, you're missing a major gift. And I said, what do you mean? And she was like, um, let me go and look it up. She said, you have a gift of connection. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and she was like, everybody wants to be your friend. You help people feel seen and valued and safe and things like that. I didn't think about that being a gift of connection, but she said that I had this gift. And sometimes, you know what, once you have identified your own gifts, I do think, why don't you ask, you know, your husband or ask your children or ask, you know, your friends and say, what do you think are my gifts? What do you think are my superpowers? Right. And sometimes people will tell you things. So she said, that's one of the most powerful gifts you have, a gift of connection. I'm like, I didn't even think about it like that. But some people can see something in you that you really, really discount a lot. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's funny that you did say, you know, ask your husband, ask your kids. I remember when I did B-School many years ago, and one of the very first assignments was, you know, send an email or ask 10 different people, like when they think of you, what is your superpower? Like, what's the thing they think of? And when I tell you more than 80% came back and they're like, oh, tenacity, or they said it in some different way. Like when you want something, you go after it and nothing could stop you, you know, and you always stop. Like for me, I'm like, okay, well, what can I do with that? So it's interesting that you put it that way. I really do love that. And sometimes I can't understand when other people aren't able to just get up and move, but then that's the thing. So if you're listening, you guys, and it's something you can do and it comes so easily to you and you do things naturally and you realize that it's not as easy for someone else to do, or maybe it takes a bit more work, that could be a gift of yours as well. Oh my gosh. So good. And I think it's such a good thing because I think that a lot of us just don't take the time to stop and do that self-work, that personal assessment work that we so desperately need. Because I just realized, Tacora, you're so busy building that you're not just pausing to reflect on what you've built. I think a lot of times I have just moved so fast because I'm afraid of losing it all just to be like super transparent. I just like was crying and I'm like, I just feel like if I don't move fast enough, I'll lose everything. It'll slip out of my hands. And I was like, why do I feel that way? 
And I think it was because I didn't really take the time to know who I was and what what mm. it is that I truly do offer the world. And now knowing like my gifts are, have always been with me, even at my lowest low, the gift of speaking and writing and connection, oh, they've always been with me. And so it's like, if that's always been with you, there's no way that you can lose it all. That is so true. Look at that. Jeez, we can end it right there, but we have more questions. Jeez. That's I have to come back again. <laughs> no, it's so good. Like all of it. Like we've gotten all over the place, but I feel like it's all very relevant to this deeper conversation about what you're protecting, right? What's deep within you, your intellectual property are things that you've pulled from yourself. You know, like I was talking about the issue is, is you ain't, that's from the forties. Anyway, I think it's amazing. So geez, now let me try to backtrack. What was the last thing we were talking about before we both, <laughs> oh, we were talking about the difference between the trademark and the copyright and the patent and all of that. And you had given us your masterclass. So I love that, by the way, when you said, you know, you pray that you're easily understood. That is so simple, but so important and powerful because being able to articulate what it is that you want to say, but also do it in a way where other people can understand is... <sighs> Oh my goodness. I love that. That's a powerful one for sure. I think everybody should take it and use it. <laughs> I love it. So what are your thoughts on those done for you services? Like, you know, how legalzoom.com has their thing or, you know, or sometimes people recommend that you do it yourself, like get your own copyright or get your own trademark and all of that. Is there something people should know first before just hopping onto, you know, do it this way? Yeah, I think that... <sighs> I like to call it legal doom, <laughs> not legal zoom, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just weary of that stuff. Not that it is work for people, right? People have used it. It's worked. It's been great for them. But the problem is that legal zoom, they're not attorneys. And so I have a client now and it's really sad. She ended up filing her trademark with legal zoom. And then after she did that, Another person came and they trademarked the exact same name in a similar category. Well, not even a similar category, but basically with like some clothing. And so she was doing something else, kind of like, let's just say, for example, she was doing coaching services. And these other people came and they trademarked her exact same name for clothing services for the type of clients that she would be coaching. And the trademark office said, okay, the two of these trademarks can coexist because they were just looking at it like, well, if you're coaching, that doesn't mean you're doing a, apparel. But my client had been selling shirts and apparel and clothing in connection with her business. But the thing about it was, is that LegalZoom did not ask her those questions. They didn't say, are you selling anything else? Is there anything else? All they do is look at what you input into the form. And unfortunately, now my client will have to pay more money to get us to oppose a trademark that was filed because it's going to register if she doesn't try to oppose it. And it's sad because if she, all LegalZoom had to do was ask her that additional question and she would have paid the exact same cost for filing the trademark because it was actually like class 35 because class 35 is retail services. And then her, the type of service that she offered was also in class 35. So she wouldn't even had to pay any extra money if they just would have asked her one additional question. And so now she has to pay more money to get things handled. And that's the danger of LegalZoom. They're not attorneys and they're not going to ask questions. You have to know what you 
you need to know. And many people are in a position to have that knowledge of, hey, I want to trademark all these things. They're just thinking, I just need to get this protected. I'll worry about the other stuff later. And you don't know what you're opening yourself up to. Mm, Everybody should just hire you, right? Because (laughs) that's what I'm getting from this. Like, seriously, because you asked those questions. You asked me questions I wasn't even thinking of. And then you made it a point to explain different things. Like with best period, for instance, I wasn't selling as yet. And, you know, you're like, okay, we need a file and intent to use. And then from there, you can move it to a real one. So little things like that, they probably really don't care enough to even take it there. This is what you're filing. Okay, this is what we're going with. So it's good to have that person on the ground that really has your best interests at heart and has the legal background to do those additional checks that will help save you time and money in the future. So definitely um, agree with that. Yeah. So I also know that you have a 98% success rate for your applications. Like that's amazing. First off, so congrats to you. Thank you. Yes. 98.5%. Oh, 98.5%. Oh, so we're scratching 99 around here. Okay. I see you. I see you. Yeah, thankful. Like we, um, normally I was by myself last year, I would do like maybe on average 100 trademarks a year. And this year we're going to probably do 200 now that I have a team. And so I'm just thankful. Like I'm just so thankful that we get to serve a lot of people and provide them with great service. You are amazing. And why do you believe your rate is so high? And when a trademark is declined, like what are the next steps for that? Oh my gosh, the rate is high because like one, I, I pray over these trademarks sometimes. Like I'm like- Pray oh. extra online, please, the car. <laughs> I am. I was like, uh uh-uh. You know, so I think the rate is high because we really take a lot of time up front to make sure things are done right. And then we tell the clients, like, do you want to take this particular risk? And most people are like, no. Like, I've had two clients who just say, I understand. I want to take the risk. And I'm like, uh, okay. Now, I'm like, I'm not going to count that (laughs) as, you know. Am I one of those two? Tell me no. No, you weren't because you were really smart. You listened to me. So um, (laughs) I'm one of them. But a lot of people will kind of like not listen completely to my advisement. Um, So I think that we do a really good job and we do, we go that extra mile to say, okay, we're uncovering these things. And I think that that's the the key indication here. We draft it very intelligently. So we have to say, okay, we're going to do this, do that, avoid these things. So I think that's part of the reason. And honestly, I just really care. We really, really care about our clients and doing a really good job and trying our best to serve folks with excellence. And I think that that translates into the client experience. Um, what's crazy is like, I think around the time, like you hired me, our firm grew by the revenue. It grew by 85%. Wow, that's amazing. But you guys deserve it all. Like You deserve it all. You know, I've heard about people who grow fast and there have been so many like ups and downs and highs and lows with that. I'm very thankful, but it shows you like as amazing as the systems were, it's like this isn't working anymore. So we have to change, you know, hey, we're going to move to a new system to accommodate the growth. I had to hire more people. So it's all these different changes that I've really had to make in the past two months or so. And so I feel like it's tough because I, you know how I like to perform. And so for me, I'm like, we're not doing what we need to do. But <laughs> but other people are like, it's fine, you know, and they understand. So it's, it's a complicated blessing. That's what that is. It's growing pain. So there's going to be things you have to change. But I I mean, 
you go over and beyond. Like I couldn't believe I could log in and there was like this membership area where I can see the things you gave me and I can see what's filed. I can see various stands. Like I'm just like, this is next level service. So even if you turned it down like 10 notches, you're still like a million notches above the competition. Oh, thank you so much. And it mattered. And I think it's, you know, when I started, I'm like, when I would hear what my colleagues were doing, I'm like, that's not good enough. So, so Listen. Now, <laughs> that's, that's like so mediocre. And so now we're doing, you know, we had like, remember I was like, oh, I'm having a trademark party and you should come. <laughs> I do remember that. That was cool. So now what we're doing is we're sending our clients a trademark party in a box. <laughs> and so what that is, it's like we frame your trademark, we give you confetti, we give you like non-alcoholic bubbly and all sorts of stuff because it's truly a celebration after waiting a year and a half. Everybody should get it. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. And I have like a million more for you to do too, but I can't wait to get that first one from you. <laughs> I'm excited. So I feel like those things really help just the overall client experience and making sure that people are valued and they feel seen and heard. I think all of that contributes to our success. For sure. And the prayer definitely helps, I'm sure. (laughs) That that too. (laughs) And I know so many people are likely listening to this episode. They have all of your gems. They're learning a ton of things and they're probably like, okay, I need to speak to her or I need to just be in her world. That reminds me of, what is that song? A part of her world. It's like a Disney song. Anyway, where can people find out more about you and your services if they really want to, you know, take their business to the next level and take it seriously by protecting their intellectual property? Yes. So you can really connect with me on Instagram um, at Takora Davis. That's the handle, T-I-C-O-R-A-D-A-V-I-S. We invite you to visit our webpage at Creators lawfirm.com. And there you can see the firm. We're undergoing some construction soon because now we're offering so much more than just trademarks, but other services as well. So we want to make sure the content reflects that. So there's going to be some changes there soon. So being able to visit me on Instagram at Takora Davis or even Creators Law Firm is going to allow you to connect with us, send us messages and look at the link in my bio. So I would say that would be a wonderful place to connect with me there. You know what, Takara, I thought of something else as you're talking, which, you know, it's connected, but it's not connected. You found a way to also hire a team that seems like they care about your business as much as you do. How did you do that? Like, but even like, I just find like everyone I've interacted with, you would think it's their business because they're so invested. Like, was that prayer too? Like, what was that? What is it the process that you did to find your team and for them to just be so committed? Yeah. So a couple of things, all of those women, I think they know my heart. You know, when I spoke earlier and I spoke about when I was fired, for having a baby and I was working at the contract legal positions, I actually began to write what I wanted the firm to be like in one hand, like I switched, I would have to like go through all these emails at the job and like answer the emails. So I switched to my left hand cause I'm, I'm right-handed and I was like, I have to write with my right hand. So I began to like click with the mouse in my left hand and I would do my work. And then in my right hand, I would write. And I said, I'm going to be the go-to trademark attorney for creative entrepreneurs and small business owners. And the creator's law firm is going to be this place where women can come and work and they feel safe and they feel seen and heard. And 
there, the people are going to be thankful to work here. I said that their ideas are going to be valid. They're going to be contributors to the team. So I actually wrote the vision for all these women that were coming in, in 2016. And I feel like slowly but surely they're now starting to come. So some of them I found through internships at the local community college. And then I invited them to join us as, you know, full-time roles. Um, others were kind of like apprentices and then they matured into a more, more full-time legal road in the associate attorney position. Uh, one, I got a recruiter to go find her. That's Ashley. <laughs> So I feel like everybody just came in these unconventional methods. I think also, too, we have really strong systems. So we're even building out our internal structure and team system so people know what's the company culture, um, what can you expect, how do we communicate with people. So we're working on all of those things, too, so that it's a seamless experience. I was telling them the other day, I was like, the work that we're doing now is not just for us. It's for the other women that are coming because this law firm is not like we're going to be a really big law firm. We're going to be probably one of the biggest in the United States and in the world. But we have to do the work for the women who are going to come. And I think they understand the mantle that we carry. They understand what we're mm-hmm. doing. This is not just, oh, we want to take all, you know, get your money and take trademarks and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, we are literally helping people protect their legacies. We're helping you protect the God-breathed ideas that you have, not just for your family now, but for your family afterwards and or your community, whatever it is that you cr- want to deem your legacy. And I think they understand that and they know the value of the work we do. And I think it also just stems from the leadership. Like, if I didn't care, they wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. And I think they're really trying, they're really being a reflection of me. Someone made a mistake last week. They were like, oh, don't worry about it, Attorney Davis. We figured it out. Like, it's fine. I said, no, it's not fine. Like, I said, that will never be fine. <laughs> I said, I don't want you all to think that. And I wasn't being mean. I just was like, hold on, let me nip that in the bud. Like, you not responding to a client for X amount of days, that's not okay. And I don't want anyone to think that we're not going to let our standards slip. You know, they were like, oh, OK, hold on. Let me get right back in line with everything. So I think that that helps, too. Like you have to know the vision for the company. You have to share that vision and you have to make it very clear. And I think the best thing about my team is that they're flexible. They understand we're in a growing phase right now and there's growing pains and they're willing and able to say, no matter what to core, we're on this journey with you. We see the bigger picture. We need to adjust and change. And I'm really thankful that I have people like that. And I think the biggest thing is their loyalty. Some of them have been approached by other firms in a little shady manner. Uh, And they're like, we're not leaving. And so I think that that helps too. Like people see the talent and so they're loyal. They don't want to go anywhere because they realize how big it's going to be. They know what it is. And I keep telling them, I'm like, it's going to be big. They're like, we know. We're here. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, they feel it. No, seriously. And as you're saying that, I don't doubt it for a second. Like it will be the biggest. So that's amazing. And one question I love to ask at the end of every single episode, and I'm sad I'm even here because I'm really enjoying speaking with you right now. What does freedom mean to you? Oh my goodness. What a powerful question. You know what? Freedom to me means like, I feel like it, I almost feel like it's the ability to breathe differently, like to breathe with ease and to know like I am fulfilling my call in this earth. I feel like being in a position to say, I want to write a book and I can write it, or I want to hire someone and I can do it. 
That's what it means to me, creating those other opportunities of freedom for other people, whether that be through my clients or my team and my family. I want to be able to have that power. And a lot of times you really can't have that power to empower others unless you know who you are. And so for me, I feel like freedom means clarity and then also the power that comes with clarity to really bless the lives of other people. Like when I'm able to give, I was able to give my team bonuses for three months in a row and they were like, I was able to pay off a credit card with that. I was able to buy a new car. I was able to do these things. My dog got sick and I was able to take care of the bill. Like those are the things that if people don't have access to certain types of money, certain types of bonuses, they're not going to be able to really do things to help benefit their life. And so for me, freedom is clarity and the power that comes with that clarity to be able to bless other people. It's so beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast, Takara. I truly appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that a great episode? I'm sure you now love Takora as much as I do after all the gems she dropped. And in the episode, she mentioned praying about being easily able to be understood. And I'm sure you can agree that this is definitely the case. She is so great and gifted at what it is that she does. If you enjoyed this episode, if you got anything from it at all, if you learned something new, just take 10 seconds of your time. It may not even take that. But if you're on the Apple Podcast app, just scroll down where you see the stars, tap on the stars to leave a review for this podcast. I'd greatly appreciate it. It helps me understand that this is something you're enjoying and benefiting from to allow me to continue creating content like this for you. And it also helps others find and benefit from the podcast as well. I'm going to link below in the show notes the links to Takora's website as well as her social media. She's at Takora Davis on Instagram. So that's T-I-C-O-R-A-D-I-V-I-S, all one word. And I'm at Ganete, G-A-Y-N-E-T-E on Instagram. So if you want to, you could just take a screenshot and tag us on there as well. So we know you listened all the way to the end. However, if you only do one of those things, please leave a review for the podcast I appreciate you. We'll chat next time. Okay, okay. I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find a benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you.